Hi, this is Scott Hervey from Weintraub Tobin. And I'm Josh Escobedo from Weintraub Tobin. Welcome to another installment of The Briefing by the IP Law Blog. Scott, I understand you want to talk about Endemol Shine's recent copyright win. That's right, Josh. Endemol Shine recently defensed a copyright infringement claim on a 12B6 motion in federal court. The claim alleged, well, the defendant alleged that the creators and producers of the Netflix television show Black Mirror committed copyright infringement uh, during season five, specifically episode three, which was entitled Rachel, Jack, and Ashley 2. The plaintiff alleges that this episode closely imitates his film and copyrighted work, Strange Frame, Love, and Sex. Um, as you know, Josh, in order to bring a claim for copyright infringement, a plaintiff must establish ownership of a valid copyright in the work allegedly infringed and copying of protected elements of the plaintiff's work. Ordinarily, ownership is established by way of copyright registration certificate and tends not to be the subject of much debate. Courts spend much of their time and effort analyzing elements of the infringement prompt. Absent evidence of direct copying, proof of infringement involves fact-based showings that the defendant had access to the plaintiff's work and that the two works are substantially similar. This was a 12B6 motion, so the court construes all allegations as true and draws all reasonable inferences in the plaintiff's favor, but does not accept legal conclusions or conclusory allegations as true. I assume ownership wasn't an issue. How did the court deal with access and substantial similarity? That's right, Josh. Uh, ownership wasn't an issue. Uh, matter of fact, the plaintiff had uh, a copyright registration covering their, their film. So really the focus was on uh, substantial similarity. Um, so access and substantial similarity, they're, they're two ends of a sliding scale. Access is not really essential uh, if the two works are so similar as to make it highly probable that the latter one is a copy of the earlier one. Uh, however, it seems here the court chose to look at substantial similarity first before even considering access. And remember, in order to determine whether the two whether two works are substantially similar, a court will employ the extrinsic intrinsic test that we have discussed uh, many times before. The extrinsic test is an objective test in nature, and it requires the court to filter out unprotectable elements and determine whether there is enough similarity between the two works as to the elements that are protectable, such that a reasonable jury could find the defendant's work to be substantially similar to that of the plaintiff's. So in order to understand the court's analysis, I think a brief review of both works is probably helpful and, and probably a little bit of fun for our uh, viewers and listeners. So the plaintiff's work, Strange Frame. So the plot begins on one of Jupiter's moons in the 28th century when a saxophonist named Parker meets a newly freed debt slave named Naya on the streets. The two become lovers and start a band, Strange Frame, Love and Sax. How creative. The band <laughs> the band is courted, is courted by a star maker manager who determines that Parker is expendable. The manager plies the two lovers with alcohol and then throws Parker on the street using bodyguards to prevent contact with Parker's former band members, particularly uh, his girlfriend, Naya. 
Later, while attending one of Naya's concerts, Parker realizes that his girlfriend, Naya, has been replaced by an android. Parker devises a plan to kidnap the android. He's successful, and information from the android leads Parker to Naya, whom Parker eventually rescues. So broadly speaking, the film centers around bodily autonomy, exploring what it means to have a physical body, and the way humans, however that is defined, um, can survive each other's authority and control. So Black Mirror, it's a Netflix uh, science fiction anthology series. This was the defendant's work. And then the episode in question, Rachel, Jack, and Ashley too, the, the, the plot or the story is as follows. So there's this pop star named Ashley O. And uh, this pop star has a, a very profound effect on Rachel, who is a lonely teenager living with her older sister and widowed father. Rachel receives a mini robotic doll named Ashley Two, not the number two, but T-O-O as in also. And she receives this doll as a birthday present. And the doll quickly becomes Ashley's uh, new virtual best friend. Meanwhile, the real pop star, Ashley O, has started writing edgier and sadder music, which is a departure from the kind of light, lighthearted pop hits that made her a pop, pop icon. In response, her aunt, who is also her manager, tricks Ashley O, the real pop star, not the robotic one, into overdosing on her medication and keeps the singer in an unconscious state in order to extract newly composed music from Ashley O's brain. When the Ashley 2 doll overhears a new briefing of Ashley O's extended coma, the robotic doll malfunctions. While attempting to revive the doll, Rachel and her sister inadvertently unlimit the doll, which allows the doll to access the real pop star's fully cloned brain. The doll convinces the real life girls to go to the coma ridden pop star's residence, where the doll revives the pop star from the coma. The girls, the singer, and the doll, the robotic doll, race together. The doll really must be something else, race together across town where uh, Ashley O's aunt is, is trying to convince an audience that she, the aunt, should have full authority over Ashley O's likeness for concerts. As part of her demonstration, the aunt abuse a lifelike projection of Ashley O, the real life pop singer, on stage to, com uh, sorry, complete with the vocals previously recorded to make the Ashley Two dolls. Ashley O, the real life pop star, and her new friends crash into the demonstration, putting an end to the scheme. The episode ends as Rachel's sister and Ashley O debut a punk rock band. I must imagine that Ashley too and Rachel are in the audience clapping. And that is the end of the synopsis of these two works. So what do you think, Josh? I don't really know what to think, Scott. That was one of the more interesting plots I've heard if that's what we want to call it. But I can see why the court decided to take to tackle substantial similarity first. Uh, I know that plaintiff's complaint listed a long list of similarities between the two works, but those all seem to be general ideas and concepts. And copyright does not protect general ideas. Rather, it protects a particular expression of ideas. That's right, Josh. And copyright also does not protect like general themes, incidents, characters, or settings, which are 
you know, as practical matters, indispensable or at least standard in the treatment of any particular given topic. For example, with, with regard to these, you know, two stories, the idea of a robotic or uh, AR type of rock star is really a common theme in science fiction. And, and both of these works uh, use common tropes like pop stars being medicated and replaced, police chases, burly bodyguards, and, and uh, staged performances. So, you know, the court uh, filtered out all of these unprotectable concepts and elements, which are sans affair. And then the court observed after filtering out all the unprotectable elements that what was left was just two entirely different stories. And we've seen the application of the extrinsic test by other courts in similar cases, and it really seems to help the court hone in on the protectable elements of both works and then determine whether those protectable elements are actually substantially similar. That's true, Josh. It's proven to be a really tough burden for plaintiffs to meet in cases like this. And that's probably a good thing. I mean, it allows the court to dispose of some of these cases uh, before the need of, of trial. So it's an interesting case, Scott. It is, Josh. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for tuning in to another installment of the briefing by the IT Law Blog. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast. And if you're interested in additional content, visit our blog at theiplawblog.com. Thanks.